Hi, I'm Jason Marcos. And I'm Barry Hamaguchi. This is Flop Redeemer, the weekly podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. In this two-part episode, we're talking about groups that reunited years after parting ways, but weren't able to recapture the level of success that they once had. In part one, Jason gives us the lowdown on whatever happened to SWV. Yay! We did it. <laughs> we did it. Good Good morning. <laughs> and cut. <laughs> good morning. Uh, so today we're talking about groups. And more specifically, we're talking about groups that disbanded and then got back together. Right? Mm-hmm. And... I think when we were talking about whether or not to consider these songs actual flops, you know, there there's always a measure by which anything can be considered a hit, right? Like there's so many charts, there's so many so many metrics, I guess, streams, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And I think that kind of gets at the center of like what we're talking about in this podcast, right? Is like, yes, there's a measure of success, like the ultimate, I think, being like Grammy Awards or um Billboard Hot 100 chart placements, right? Mm-hmm. Especially Billboard Hot 100 placements because that kind of aggregates all music into one place and says like this is the most played, the most purchased music from throughout music, right? It's like and, the definition of pop. It's yeah, popular. yeah. And then you have and and then you have genre charts that are like country, R and B, uh, dance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know, on occasion, those songs cross over into the pop charts. But it's not unusual also to have like an R&B number one that only makes it to like 96 on the Hot 100, right? Yeah. Because at the point where you're measuring like an R&B chart, you're looking at radio play for R&B specific stations. Mm -hmm. So that's like a limited subset. And so maybe those stations are playing, you know, um, an Erica Badu song. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That no one else is playing. And so suddenly Erica Badu charts really high on R&B soul, but because she's not getting played elsewhere, because she's only, you know, aiming herself at a very specific audience, I think to her benefit. Right. I don't think that mm-hmm. Erica Badu is necessarily attempting to reach all people at all times, nor do I think she should. Yeah. Um, but so when we talk about groups getting back together, I think that there's that aspect of it. But I also think that there's like a little bit of a a consideration to be made for striking when the iron's cold, so to speak, mm-hmm. that these are groups that reunited. What do we expect from a reunion when they've taken some time off? The public maybe, maybe doesn't remember them mm-hmm. or isn't as familiar with them, even if they had these iconic hits back yeah. in the day. The timing has to be right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's got to be like the right amount of time. They have to hit that nostalgic, the right when the nostalgia, they got to hit the nostalgia pocket right, I guess. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's something that we're getting more and more familiar with. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's, I mean, maybe it's specific to like music that we came of age into, like reunions have always been happening, but we're hitting the point within the last 10 years where groups that were popular or singers that were popular when we were, in our teens and in our twenties are now seeing the opportunity to come back. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is funny to kind of think about it and, and just place it in your own history. And it's like when we were younger, I would say like college age, right. Mm -hmm. Um, you'd see those, at least in LA, they have those, you know, they'd print those signs and they'd be on like street, 
like uh, streetlight posts and it'd be like for like a reunion concert and it'd be like oh, yeah, yeah. Tina Marie, Lisa Lisa or Lisa and uh, yeah, Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam, yeah. Cult Jam, yeah. And you're and I'd be like, who's going to those? Like who yeah. cares? But it's like all those like, like 80s, us ne- yeah. Yeah, it's like those That's 80s like freestyle reunion yeah. things where yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Um Taylor Dane, you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, you know, it's funny cuz I remember when Taylor Dane tried to do a comeback. Um <laughs> there was a VH1 show in the 90s, late 90s. And like, I think Vince Neil was on one and Taylor Dane did one. And they were basically these somewhat has been singers or one hit wonder singers or just singers that had disappeared from the public eye largely and their attempts to kind of stage a comeback. And I remember part of that show dealing like with plastic surgery and stuff Mm. like that and, and kind of not just rejuvenating their musical careers, but rejuvenating their physical appearance. Yeah. Wait, wait, was I, cause I remember that period because was I with you or was I with Eric? Remember millions of milkshakes on Santa Monica? It was across from yes. rage. Yes. Um, and like people would always get like paparazzi there, like pop stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh yeah, like, yeah. 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 So yeah. we were there one time and Taylor Dane was in there with like two gays. Okay. And I remember the two gays actually later, I think, being someone. But um, she was kind of drunk. <laughs> okay. But, this, but as we, she's as ordering we milkshakes were. and then kind of essentially like sort of escorted slash carried to the escalator or whatever that was waiting right outside. But like that was my brush with Taylor Dane. But that would have been at the exact same time as what you're talking about when that comeback period, because she was kind of in different places at that point. Yeah, like I think that there was a there was a period of time where she didn't necessarily want to rely on the success of um, Tell It God, To My Heart. Tell It To My Heart and um, <laughs> Love Will Lead You Back. back. Um, I'll Be Your... I only like like three songs. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like after that, I know the ones that's that the they thing. play on, I think, on Coast. <laughs> I, I think that she envisioned a much more prolific career for herself. And so she was trying to like, you know extend yeah. extend her stardom into the 90s 2000s and i remember she re- she recorded a new album after that that i actually i mean i liked it it was fine mm. it wasn't it wasn't anything that was going to break through but i was like oh yeah like this is you know it reminds you like why you like taylor dane's voice your support paid for that milkshake yeah you know that tignataro there's that tignataro thing about uh how she had a multiple encounters with with taylor dane in like yes. the late 90s she's like yes she constantly went up to Taylor Dane and was always like, I, I just have to tell you that I, I love your voice. And she sees Taylor Dane like three or four times and always walks up to her and tells her that. And it's like this weird Groundhog's Day experience. Does Taylor but, Dane remember her? Um, I mean, once that, I, yeah. th- that story, I think she told it on This American Life first. Or it was popularized mm-hmm. on This American Life, but I think it maybe had been part of her stand-up act mm. throughout. Okay. And... um. They did a This American Life live show after that story had kind of taken hold of our our cultural zeitgeist. And at the very end of it, they surprised her with Taylor Dane coming out to sing to her. <laughs> I hope they paid for her. I hope so. Too. She Taylor Dane deserves it. You know, she yeah. she needs she needs to pay for those escalates to carry her off. And, and the, she, the blowouts on her hair. Yeah. I think Taylor Dane actually recently came out with something new. But anyway, anyway, um, <laughs> Reunions coming back. Reunions, resurgence, revitalization, reconciliation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is all to say that 
you know, we had some conversations this week about like, you know, when this is a reunion, does this constitute a flop? Yeah. Largely, some of these things are considered to be very successful reunions. I don't think that either of the reunions that we're talking about were ever as notable or successful as things like New Kids on the Block getting back together, Backstreet Boys getting back together, right? Like there were mm-hmm. there were certain ones where they really capitalized on a lot of social media fervor and then a very successful tour. Yeah. I think to really um, create the conversation in the media that these were big events and that these acts are back versus the ones that I think we're talking about today that I don't think that they ever reaped the same reward for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, it's success is all relative, but if you're looking at, I think, you know, it goes back to the first episode where we talked about like, what does success mean to this artist? Mm -hmm. What were they looking to achieve? And I think that, and I don't know about MKS, but at least with SWV, it'll be really interesting to to talk about this because I don't think it met their standard or what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think to me, that's where, you know, however I feel about it, that's kind of, you know, th- that's pro- that's that's an important metric. Yeah. And I think more importantly, for our own personal purposes, it's uh-huh. like, do our ears believe that they deserved more out of yeah. these efforts, you know? Yeah. Which I think is the case in that we're talking about them today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we think so. Yeah. So, um, are we ready to take a break? Well, <laughs> so before we cut to break, I just want to remind everyone that we will be posting songs and videos that we're talking about today on our website at flopredeemer.com. Um, and if you have any comments, questions, concerns, you can throw it in, actually into our DMs. I, mm. I, I look at our Instagram profile. We're mm-hmm. Instagram and Twitter at uh, at Flop Redeemer. Also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Flop Redeemer. Or, novel idea, you can go back into the 20th century and email us at flopredeemer at gmail.com. We eagerly, eagerly await your correspondence. It's like a love letter. Yep. Let's take a break. And we're back. Hello. <laughs> Hi. What'd you do on your break? Nothing. I took a nap. Um, <laughs> but I'm back now. So I, re- I recentered my nose ring. <laughs> I just watched you do that. Yes. Um, so today I'm going to talk about SWV's 2012 album, I Missed Us. So I'm not really talking about a song so much as just like the project. Rebel, um, break in the format. Right? I know. Sorry. How many episodes? Eight episodes in. I'm changing it up already. It's our show. We're adapting. We're 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 growing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We're emerging okay. from a chrysalis. Yes. Um, this was SWV's fifth studio album and their first release since disbanding in 1997. Um, it featured the lead single Cosine. It was only a moderate hit, and most people have forgotten about it. Um many people didn't even realize it existed. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, it includes in addition to Cosine, it includes a cover of Patti LaBelle's classic, If Only You Knew, which I covered in the last episode. One of my absolute favorite songs, one of, you know, R&B, the category of R&B is like classic songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that earned them a Grammy nomination. So for, you know, there was some attention paid to this album, but for the most part, it's kind of sunk and 
torpedoed. Um, <laughs> but they're still they're still going right now, the, right? Like they're the, still. Well, we'll get into that because okay. it's a little unclear. So, okay. so for anyone who doesn't know, SWV, um, like for example, if you're if you're my sister, um, when I mentioned to her that we were watching the Brandy and Monica verses, she said, "I don't know any of the words that you just said to me." <laughs> And I was like, what? And like every time I tried to explain who Brandy and Monica were, all of my references were about the time she was born. Mm-hmm. Like, so there's no, no, con- like nothing. There's no way to place it in context. Right. She's like Monica, is that wo- the woman from Friends? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, and so I, you know, I was already feeling old, but so SWV is an iconic group. Um, even group. older than Brandy and Monica. Even older. I mean, Brandy and Monica made them feel old is 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 kind of what ended up happening. But they're a Grammy-nominated R&B trio made of Coco, Lily, and Taj. And they are one of the most successful girl groups of the 90s. So um, they debuted around the same time as TLC and En Vogue. Um, Janet Jackson's... Uh, what's the... Uh, That's the Way Love Go album? What's that? Janet. Janet. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's about the same time. You know, yeah. this is this is that this is that time. Um early, de- early, early mid nineties, middle school dance time. Yeah. For well, us. It's, um yeah, middle school dance. Um it was it was at a time when R and B well, so really it was like New Jack Swing is what their music represented, which was sort of this, hmm. it was new at the time. I, d- I hadn't really put it together with them, but New Jack Swing is essentially like hip hop and R&B combined with pop. Or, or I would say hip hop, R&B, the fusion of that. So so Mary J. Blige was at the beginning of that. Jodeci, um, uh, New Edition, Bobby Brown, all of those guys. Um, and they were like the one of the first girl groups that like capitalized on that. They worked with Teddy Riley, who was the father of that style, mm-hmm. which was very popular at the beginning of the 90s. Um, their debut album came out in 1992. It's called It's About Time. This album was huge. It went three times platinum. Um, it was number two on the top R&B hip hop albums. And, you know, interestingly, it went to number eight on the Billboard 200. So this was actually this is a time when like this music was actually crossing over into pop. Mm-hmm. Right. It was, you know, so it had five singles. Um, I'm so into you, which is a great song. Um, number six on the Billboard Hot 100, non- number two on the Hot R&B charts. Um, Weak, their iconic song, Weak, um, mm-hmm. went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for two weeks. It actually took out Janet Jackson's That's the Way Love Goes. Huh. Um, yeah, I mean, if you were, it. again, like if you were slow dancing in middle school mm-hmm. with 12 inches of space between you and your dance partner, uh-huh. Arm, it was that slow dance. It was that mid '90s middle school slow dancing where your arms are like uh, they had to be extended, fully, fully outstretched. Mm-hmm. Um, you were slow dancing to Week. Yeah, I mean, Week is an iconic song. Totally, like it's 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 such an iconic song. Um, there's an interesting story about that, and we'll get into that. But um, right here, the Human Nature remix. So right here was one of their songs. It didn't do super well. And then Teddy Riley remixed it over Michael Jackson's human nature. And Mm -hmm. that is the version that most people know. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was great. It went, um, that was a huge hit. Interestingly enough, there's a part in that song where it goes S W V 
S S double. Okay. Yeah. That's Pharrell. That was like his first like rapping. That's Pharrell. How, how old because was he? Wait, is Pharrell like secret? Pharrell's like the same age as them. He's he's like in his forties or fifties. He's like because he worked so the same guy who discovered his name was Kenny Ortiz. He's an A and R guy. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. who discovered them? Discovered he discovered like Brian McKnight, Joe, Jasmine Sullivan, Anita Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going all the all the all over the place. He discovered MC Hammer. He he did all he did all this, but he discovered the Neptune. He discovered Pharrell oh, wow. and Chad Hugo. Pharrell is forty seven years old. Yeah, yeah. Bravo, yeah, Pharrell. That man, like he says, he just washes his face with cold water and Cetaphil. All right, that's cold, cold water. Yeah, cool. That's the um, key. See, throw out all of your Korean shit <laughs> and just use that. Um, but like, yeah, he discovered them, and he actually on the on their second album, um, New Beginnings in '96. Um, there's a track, one of their singles was the first time that Pharrell and Chad Hugo produced a song as the Neptunes. Oh, wow. Okay. In 96. So like by the time we were dancing to them again, like in like the early 2000s. Yeah. That they were already around for like forever, five years at least. Mm-hmm. And, um, like in the background. So anyway, so new beginnings, you're the one went to number five on the billboard hot 100, you know, they were on the Waiting to Exhale soundtrack that year in 96. Who wasn't um, on the Waiting to Exhale exactly. soundtrack? Exactly. I mean, it was it was a who's who. It was a who's who of R&B. But, you know, all this to say that what I wanted to show was this R&B group, this New Jack Swing group, was a, was a bona fide crossover hit for most of the, mid-ni- the mid-90s. Yeah. Um, Especially when you talk about TLC and En Vogue also mm-hmm. kind of coming up around the time that I think that in popular culture, TLC and En Vogue kind of fare better than SWV. Yeah. And, and popularly. So, well, we'll talk about that because this goes into why they ended up breaking up. Right. Okay. So so before we get there in 97, so 92, their first album comes out. There's four years in between. 96 is when their second album comes out, which I didn't really put together. But four years is a long time if you've been hot. And there's a lot of time for your momentum to cool. Yeah. Um, 1997, their third album comes out. It's called Release Some Tension. And this one was interesting. 97 is a very different time than 1992, right? Mm-hmm. So now you have on the album that it features Puff Daddy, Missy Elliott, Timbaland, Foxy Brown, Lil Kim, Snoop Dogg, and Redman. So it's got this this big list of people. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in terms of this being a very different album, it's interesting that whole new Jack Swing sound that kind of comes up in the mm-hmm. early 90s, it actually really quickly dissipates and away. turns into something completely different. Yeah, yeah. yeah All those early 90s, fl- like, uh, like boys to men type of things. And I remember... There's a, uh, a Tony, Tony, Tony song called If yeah. I Had No Loot. That's a great song. But that... Yeah kind of what to me represents like quintessential new jack swing of like early 90s by the late 90s it's so different yeah i mean like you think about you you mentioned boys to men and it's really interesting because boys to men had motown philly right Mm -hmm. motown philly's back again that song came out and i talked about this i used to buy music on bmg (laughs) when i started liking Boys to Men, it was like End of the Road, which was on the same album, but just it's a very different feeling. Um, mm-hmm. End of the Road, and then like 
then that next album that had like Water Runs Dry, I'll Make Love to You, and it's a very different sound. Slow jams. Even slow jams. And and that was maybe 96. That was about 96, 97, right? It's like in, yeah. that, in that period. Already, I remember because BMG only had like it took a long time for their newer albums to come out. So I got that previous album from Boys to Men and I hated it because even in 96, 97, like that, that new Jack swing sound sounded incredibly dated. Yeah. Like it just wasn't the thing. I mean, even I feel like even when it came out, it was making references to kind of an older beat. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what made it cool and fresh at the time. But then, yeah, something happened. It it Because it had like a light, very trouble-ended yeah. feel yeah. to it. Yeah, it wasn't bass. Yeah, and then we went really hardcore into bass as the 90s yeah. went on. Yeah, yeah. So a lot and- of that, a lot of that stuff started to sound at least when you're ha- when you when you have headphones on and you just want bass, it started to sound very like Tinker Toy kind of like. Well, w- and and yeah, and and also like at this point, like '97, like Brandy has released her music, Aaliyah has released her music, and the sound of popular R&B is changing. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like it's a sexier, it's a different sound. Yeah. And, oh, I mean, and, yeah. You know, it's sexier because notably, like. One of my big recollections of SWV early on is like in the early 90s, it was very cool for women in hip hop R&B to play up like a tomboy image. Yeah. yeah. TLC was very tomboyish in the early 90s. And then, you know, it was all the it was all like the big baggy clothes Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. kind of like sitting with your legs spread apart. Yeah. That swag that they had. Yeah. And over the course of the 90s, like that also largely disappears. So Release Some Tension, the third album, mm-hmm. has one of my favorite SWV songs, which is Can We? Um, that was produced by Missy Elliott and Timbaland. And it, if you listen to it now, it sounds, I mean, it's its still such a good song. But um, I remember, so it was one of those... <laughs> This is one of those songs I had to secretly listen to because the, mm. the, the full line of that is, can we get kinky tonight? Mm. I've got so many things on my mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I had to listen to that song secretly in my bedroom. Um, but I loved that song. And again, it just sounded so sexy. Like that was a great song. Um, it also features um, Rain, which is one of their big hits. Mm. Um, it didn't do very well. This album kind of came and went And, you know, despite having all of these people on it and it just kind of came and went. And so that was in 97 SWB officially disbands in 98. So Mm -hmm. they kind of burned hot and then went away. So to answer your question, like what happened? So let's get into what happened. So SWV stands for sisters with voices one of the, th- there'd been tensions going on since the beginning of the group. And there's like manage the, like claims of mismanagement or poor management and then just personality issues. And then, so, so to kind of start on the management side, they were managed by this woman named Maureen Singleton. And it's kind of universally acknowledged when you go back and you like look at bios of this group that everyone agrees that she had some truly horrendous management decisions with regard to like how they positioned the group. Um, if you think you mentioned TLC, you mentioned En Vogue, they had an, an image. TLC was kind of sexy tomboys next door. They were fun. Yeah. En Vogue was very glamorous. They were like mm-hmm. models. Maureen Singleton, their manager, did not create an identity for SWV. 
right? Like mm-hmm. it wasn't that there was no focus on like who these girls were. If you think about TLC, you know who they are. There's T-Boz, Chili, and Left Eye. And mm-hmm. Vogue, you know Dawn. You know some of the girls, but like they have a strict image. Do you, I'm willing to bet that most people, you might know Coco's name in mm-hmm. SWV, but that's about it, right? Like the, the, it wasn't, the, the, who they were as individuals and who their personality was wasn't like a big thing. It was yeah. the music. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny because, yeah, for you to say that now, it's it's like images as individuals, which is what I think TLC excelled at. And then image uh-huh. as a group that I think uh-huh. En Vogue excelled at, right? En Vogue yeah. coming out there in like these um, those vintage inspired those dresses, Marilyn yeah. Min- Monroe strapless dresses like that created an image for that group. Mm-hmm. TLC had very distinct personalities and individuals. SWV really didn't have any of that. They were really, no. they were, I mean, to their, to their group name, they were relying upon the integrity their of their voices. Yeah. Yeah. And what's crazy is like these songs, like we were saying, these, they've sold 25 million albums. Like they're not nobody, right? Mm-hmm. Like their songs were huge. They're everywhere. And you still know them to this day, but like, you know, their management, like with the video for like, so I'm so into you, which is like an upbeat. I'm so into you. Right. Mm. It's a fun song. The, the video features them fencing. <laughs> it's like, what does that have to do with anything? And then in the video for week, and I have always thought this, but like, if you watch the video for week, they're mm. in a boxing match. Huh? Which doesn't go with the song. I mean, I get so weak, I guess I, 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 I don't, it just doesn't work. Like, yeah. it's like, who are these people? Um, they, they, in addition to that, I mean, they were signed, basically they were teenagers. So they had no business experience and they signed power of attorney over to their accountant. So yeah. their accountant was making, paying all their bills, but also didn't pay their taxes. So oh, God. even though they've been selling, like all of their deals were like, not, it, it's a tale as old as time again, yeah. just like, hugely popular not really getting any rewards um so that's like on the management side right like the image but then like personally coco and taj never got along okay from the beginning so were they when they first, were they friends when they got together no, or were they so fabricated? coco and lily coco and lily uh-huh. knew each other from school and church okay um lily had called coco up and was like let's let's put this group together and they 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 tried to find other people, they found Taj. Okay. And so they didn't really know each other, but Coco and Taj like fight, like just cats, like they don't, the oil and water, they don't mix. Okay. And they start fighting right from the moment that I'm so into you blows up. So like from the very beginning of their group, they're 92. They're, they're 92. Um, they, in the middle, as that's blowing up, Coco issues an ultimatum to the other two and says, I want 50% of the money or I quit. So there's three of them mm-hmm. um, rather than 30, 30, 30. Um, she wants 50 or so they stop talking like in the middle of like trying to promote this, this, so this, this is whole, the, first album. This is the first album. Okay. They're like touring and she comes up with this ultimatum. And I mean, the, it's, so Coco is the lead singer, right? Okay. And then Lily and and Taj are sort of the it's like the Diana Ross and then the you know the Cindy Florence and Ballard the Florence and the, and the Supremes, Wilson. right? Yeah. So so it's she, you know, 
what they end up saying, they end up coming to an agreement, but it's like sours everyone, obviously. And again, mm-hmm. this is still first album. Yeah. And, you know, they, you know, in, in interviews, like later on, like in 2014, you know, they're like, look, a decent manager would have sat us down and got us to work this out. But mm-hmm. their management did nothing. And so like didn't help smooth it out at all. And so they kind of came to an agreement. I, it's unclear like what their agreement was. Yeah. But um, they came to an agreement. Um, they I, I mentioned earlier, there's four years in between 92, the their debut album and their second album. Coco got pregnant in between. And it was apparently like a surprise. Like she wasn't I mean, she wasn't planning on being pregnant. So they had started work on the second album, but her pregnancy delayed the production. And so not just delayed the production, but then she they the way they put it, she had to go through pregnancy you know, do the thing and then like slim down so that she could be ready to do the rest of the, to do like full tour and promo and whatever. Yeah. So, so she could be they, ready to be perceived be of by society as a human woman, as a human woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I mean, again, they're really young at this point still, right. They're like maybe 20. Okay. Right. They're about 20, 21, 22. Um, but like that just meant that they lost a ton of momentum. You know, four years like they were hot and then like nothing. And four years over the course of which the sound of R&B music was was changing. changing. Yeah. Yeah. So on their second album, Brian Alexander Morgan is a songwriter and producer. He was the song. He was the one who wrote um, Week. He's Mm -hmm. the one who wrote most of that first album, wrote like I'm so into you, wrote like, you know, all of those songs. Um he was brought in only at the last minute on their second album. Okay. And he, he said he viewed it as kind of a slap in the face because he thought they were upset that he'd made so much money on the first album. Now he was a struggling singer songwriter um, at the time of their first album and made some good money got, and that really jumpstarted his career. Um, and they, when they did the second album, they basically recorded almost the whole thing and then just brought him in at the end. Okay. Um, it, you know, an interesting thing about it, and I think this 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 is relevant. Like as we talk about this, he initially wrote "Weak," which we've talked about. Great song. It's one of their iconic songs. He said Coco hated it and like wouldn't talk to him about it. Like she hated it. She was resentful recording it, and she only warmed up when he presented her with "I'm So Into You." Um, mm-hmm. and she, he 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 says like she called her mom and she was like, "Oh my!" He finally wrote us a good song or something like that. <laughs> like, like just kind of like okay, you know. Like, but also just it, it makes me question, like, if the group itself knows w- what makes them good, mm-hmm. like can recognize, you know, because they have all of these feelings. They they know they have great voices, but like their own decisions and instincts about what's going to be a hit mm-hmm. um, maybe may not match with like what actually the, the public wants. So he, they brought him in. He he talks about how on the second album the album cover they're wearing fur coats like the three of them are wearing fur coats on the album cover Uh and he's just like you know why because like tlc at this time so to put it in perspective tlc had come out with waterfalls at that time and like they're sexy they're all in like their midriffs that video was amazing right they did their they did that uh red light special with the silk red light special album no no that was uh that was crazy crazy sexy cool yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, I'm seeing the like, fur coats. Um, the one in the back, the one in the back is giving me straight up like late 40s Patty LaBelle vibes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's what he's saying. He's like, 
what is this? Like, who are they? Like, yeah. I don't understand. Like, you know, like it makes no sense. 96, like Brandy's album had come out, right? Like yeah. it's just, it's just crazy. The videos were terrible. They're just not cool. I mean, the album had like a hit and, but it just, as far as artists, it didn't advance them and who they were. And so mm-hmm. like you had four years between the second and third album. And then one year they pushed out, released some tension um, like the next year. So, you know, they, they kind of did it quickly. And I, like I said, I like this album. I liked some, a lot of the songs on this album. I think it was very current. It was not a hit for them. Yeah. It didn't do well. And like Lily, it's funny. Lily, um, it's like, I hated that album. She's like, it was ridiculous. Poor judgment. You know, not taking anything away from these great artists, but I felt like the album was all of those great artists featuring SWV. And so that was what she was saying back in like in like 2000. And then when she was interviewed again in 2012, she was like, I hated it. Uh, And she still like hates it. And that's good consistency. I hate the hats that they're wearing on this album cover. Yeah. I mean, it's just the styling is just so weird. It's like, who are they? Um. And, and, and honestly, like they just couldn't compete with new artists like Brandy and Aaliyah, like at that point, mm-hmm. like they had been super popular, iconic, um, but there was just a new sound that they just, it, they just couldn't, Destiny's Child was out at that time too. Like it was just, it was movie, music was moving in a new direction and their own taste level and, and their management just were not up to par. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not only that i mean they had money problems we talked about it before but like they were having money problems and so lily actually quit the band in the middle of touring to promote Mm -hmm. this song um so that she could take care of her kids um taj and coco tried to continue the tour and they played like two shows and then coco quit after one of the shows leaving mm-hmm. just Taj. And so <laughs> she's out there just singing by herself. Just, and, and just like, that was it. They did not talk. They didn't, they didn't speak. It, it's interesting because it is that thing when, you know, you have songwriters that are taking mm-hmm. a cut and establishing what your songs sound like. And then you have your management that's taking a cut and determining what your image is like. And if those things don't amplify you, who is mm-hmm. the voice, mm-hmm. you know, you see this even with TLC that the the slice of pie that's left over for a group that does not write their own music and does not have a deal that gets them any cuts of like merchandising or touring, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was Chili or or Lisa that said that the but year she that, broke it down. <laughs> well, she broke it down, but then she one yeah. of them said that basically in the year that Waterfall came out, after taxes, after everything, her cut of the money. She made $40,000 that year. Yeah, yeah. You know, TLC in the year that they released Waterfalls. And so SWV, who at this point is nowhere near as big as TLC, is, yeah, I I can't imagine, like, how could you ever recoup anything after all this money is, you know, know, you're talking about them being resentful towards their songwriters, potentially. Mm -hmm. And I think probably once you get into the mix of the business and you become acquainted with how all that stuff works out in terms of the math, it probably blindsides you, you know, you're thinking, I'm just going to, I'm going to get together with some friends or I'm going to get together with my friend and we're going to find a third friend of me to make this group. It's going to be great. We have great voices. We have talent Mm -hmm. that should be enough. That's like the American dream. That should be enough for me 
to hit it big and make money. Yeah. And you don't realize that you could hit it big and still be piss poor. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and and it's, it, it is absolutely true. It's like, it sounds, people decry this all the time that like the image, like having to be an image that's palatable or that, that like takes hold, but it is so important mm-hmm. because like here, here's an example of where you have these great voices and they're bitter about it, that it should just be about their voices. But it's like, well, nobody knows who they were though. Yeah. Cause it's not like you can sit down and get to know them. Right. Like it is just about all of that media perception and it is about like what we see in a video and it is about how we see you on your album cover. Right. Like, and all of those decisions take other people to help make and craft and very few people are prepared to think about it in the way that they need to in order mm-hmm. to, you know, craft a public persona. It's all about it's all about your brand. I mean, I hate it when people I hate it when people say that, but it's kind of true, unfortunately. It's true. I mean, I, I, you know, I think to that point, what an interesting thing that that I think has happened in the last 10 years is you know, I work in marketing and branding, right? And and a lot of the way I approach things is thinking about things in terms of a brand and like whether this fits the brand. Um, and in the last 10 years, I've seen a different reaction from people when I say you have to think of your brand. Mm-hmm. It is much more accepted now that that is just a part of our lives because of social media, because people get it now. They get like as they put stuff on Instagram stories or whatever that they're cultivating a persona. And like you look at it, you look at the difference between someone's stories and like what ends up on the on their actual posts that are permanent. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's like it's it's way more curated now than it was before. Right. Like you don't see the I ate tomatoes today or whatever. <laughs> like that's part of the story. But like it never it doesn't show up on like the official because like the official thing is like kind of who you are and what's like super important to you. Right. And people are thinking about that now. Yeah. And they they might not always think about it in those words that it's their brand, but that's the way they're operating because now we are all putting ourselves up for consumption in a way that like, I think there was more of a, people are collecting those receipts. People are collecting those receipts. So you got to be careful. I mean, that's the whole other aspect of it too, is that you have to curate because you have to be careful about, you know, essentially cancel culture and the number of people that just want to collect all this information. You're putting this information out for people to collect and what mm. people are collecting and how they choose to compile different pieces of information about you, whether it's a yeah. series of Instagram stories or an Instagram live, everything you that you say and do, it. you can't escape that. And those are yeah. the things that become you regardless mm-hmm. of what you're curating. So you, so mm-hmm. in that sense, like you really don't want anything outside of it to slip through the cracks, you yeah. know? Yeah. You know, 98, they break up, they all go their separate ways, and they literally, they, they basically don't talk for essentially seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, in that time, Lily goes and she gets her GED, and she goes to work in an accounting office. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've always wondered, you know, when I was working in a mortgage firm and, and all of these things, and, you know, you toil behind the scenes, I was always like, I wonder what happens to these people when they're not famous. Like, remember the group Jade? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I wonder, like, so what do you do after, like, you have a hit, like, and then, like, your career doesn't take off? Like, do you just go and get a job in an insurance company? Like, what do you do? Oh, yeah. 
And and here, yes, you do. Yeah. Like she I'm needed seeing, to make money. I'm seeing lots of connective tissue between this story and the story I'll be talking about with MKS. Okay. It's, it's yeah, really no, interesting. Yeah. Because I'm always like, what is that like? Like you toured the world. You were like on the cover of, of these magazines and now you're going to go work in an accounting firm. Right. Like, like it's just, just the, the, what that must do to you psychologically. Right. Mm-hmm. So she goes and does that. Taj, um, you know, Taj ends up getting married to Eddie George. He's an NFL player. And so she kind of, she, 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 she gets, a, she, she marries Eddie George. And then she's in a reality show called I Married a Baller. It okay. was a TV one show. And, um, which I think is funny. I think it's kind of hilarious. But um, is it like the pre- that must be the predecessor for VH1's like Basketball Wives and all those? I shows. think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just it's it follows these like what it's like to marry into that like you know sports and mm-hmm. professionals and different things like that. Um, Coco ends up doing sort of a moderately successful gospel career. She goes in a gospel direction, but she she talks about like she never really liked being solo. She said it was boring. And like, even though they fought, she's, even though they fought, she still missed the girls. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so, so they're, you know, seven years, they kind of go their own way. They, they just do their own thing. And then in 2005, Lily finds out somehow that SWV is experiencing a surge in popularity in Japan. And I think this is like the time, like when people that, that joke about like, I'm really big in Japan, Uh like, right. is like coming out, like, she finds out that they're really big in Japan and she finds out that um, basically a Japanese promoter is offering them a lot of money to tour in Japan. Like the kind of money they can't ignore because obviously they've all gone their separate ways. Neither, none of them is really doing what they want. Lily's still working at the accounting job. Mm. So she gets Taj and Coco to kind of put aside their egos and be like, let's do this. So they do it and they have fun and it's successful. And it's actually so successful for them that they end up continuing to tour off and on for several years after that, like on those little pickup tours that like yeah. we were talking about, like with, um, yeah, like with Jodeci or Blackstreet. Blackstreet, interesting enough, uh, Teddy Riley put that together or was part of Black Street as well. So, so, you know, it kind of all brings it back together. That same sound, it's that 90s New Jack swing sound. They would go on tours. And they talked about doing an album sort of off and on that whole time, but nothing ever really came together. Mm-hmm. So they toured, but like they were sort semi-reunited, but you know, not really doing much. Um, meanwhile, Taj's husband, the the football player, Eddie George, he retired and he became a broadcaster for the Tennessee Titans. And so Taj was set. So like of the three of them, she no longer had to tour or do SWV to make money. Mm -hmm. So she kind of, not that it wasn't like as important for her, but like, you know, if you think about their dynamic for so long being all about money and like kind of fighting each other and fighting their, you know, everything for scraps that took a lot of pressure off of her. Cause the thing was, was that they said like Taj was always kind of like standoffish. Mm-hmm. Like and shy and like kind of to herself. And so she she says that she had to kind of work on her sh- on her shit. Like and so, they, they you know, during this time while they were touring, they took plenty of breaks from being in SWV. And Taj actually she goes she goes and she um she's she ends up being in the 18th season of Survivor. Oh. And she doesn't tell anyone on the show that like who she is. Uh-huh. 
you know, she's as far as they know, she's she's just some woman, right? Yeah. Like, she doesn't tell them she's she was part of SWV. Again, this is like them, the br- yeah. the branding of it. Can you imagine if T Boss went on Survivor and yeah. she tried to pretend like no one knew who no she one was? Knew her. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. They were like, unless she, unless they're literally standing together, people have no idea who they are. Yeah. And so she ended up coming in fourth, and she <laughs> said it was like a great experience. Like she she learned how to deal with a lot and just be on her own with nothing. Right. Uh-huh. So she does that. Coco um, does different things. She ends up in a touring production of the vagina monologues. Okay. I mean, they're, they're, they they take wild turns. <laughs> this brings me to the album I Missed Us, which came out in 2012. So in 2011, so after what? 2011. <laughs> why can't I do math? What are you six years. Okay, six six years, years after they sort of semi reunited, they end up getting signed with an indie label. Um, and they put together the album I Missed Us, which comes out in 2012. Um, it, it's their fourth studio album. It debuted at number 25, so not bad. Yeah. Um, but it kind of quickly sank down the charts and uh, there was almost no promotion again this is this is the problem when you're when you're with an indie label like they don't have the budget to do big things and if you're kind of a niche artist an e- a niche act at this point like your your ability to promote is very difficult you're kind of stuck within an echo chamber of maybe like your own your own sort of genre and the mm-hmm. and the media that supports that but by definition it's it's got a very it's a it's a not as wide of an audience right yeah but um but you know the 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 album itself was pretty well reviewed i mean the new york times you know said it was a comfortable revisiting of the girl group post new jack swing that swv was instrumental in popularizing it remained true to their founding principles of soothing harmonies and optimistic love and the song if only you knew their cover um, John Karamanika, Karamanika, I can never pronounce him, his name, but the, the music editor, music critic at the New York times said that song is a fantastic vocal exercise that pulls SWV out of the nineties and into timelessness. Mm-hmm. And it earned them again, like a Grammy nom for best traditional R and B album or performance. And I think this album is actually really good. You and I talked about this before. It's a good album. That song, the this lead single Cosine, is a perfect update of their sound. Yeah. It's fun. It it solidly it reminds you exactly of who they are, mm-hmm. but it feels very current. Yeah. And it's it's a bubbly, fun song. Cosine is great. I've always I've already sung the plays, praises of If Only You Knew because like Coco, their voices are better now than they were before like their voices have matured and i i will say i saw them i saw them open for tony braxton last february uh february 2019 Mm -hmm. and they they sound amazing like their voices are just fucking amazing so they still got it but like you know it didn't really do much. I mean, you 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 like this album, right? I like this album. I feel like in the in the blogospheres that I was circulating in, I think that this was big news. Yeah, you know, I was I was reading those like hip hop R and B blogs, like that grape juice, and I think like 
I was reading like Love B. Scott at the time too. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so in again, like in those circles, in, in those, those circles, regions, yeah. it was it was a big deal, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and to think about, you know, after this, when New Kids on the Block or Backstreet Boys, again, when those acts start to reunite. Obviously, those groups had a little bit larger initial success and maybe like a longer runway in their in, in their first stints at stardom. Mm-hmm. But I was still surprised that, you know, SWV getting back together wasn't a bigger deal. Yeah, I mean, but I, I think you can kind of see why, though, right? Like as we talk through this, yeah. it's like they didn't have that cohesive image like Backstreet Boys. It, it, new kids on the block they set the template for like the bad boy the sensitive one the heartthrob yeah. the you know the older one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right and it's like they were able to still capitalize on those archetypes at, not only at the time but like in the nostalgia sense and like you were able you know backstreet boys in particular they had a documentary come out before their album came out before the end it was a full roll out right mm-hmm. to like get people ready for them to come back and then they did like the um they did the uh oh god what's that tour the um wango tango they did like the, the they did that you know after after their documentary came out then their album came out then they toured at like pop radio uh concerts across the country and all in service of promoting their las vegas residency which then yeah. was a hit so it was like a full rollout you know, you talk about social, they're doing all of these things and it was like on a pop scale and not just like, you know, within like, to your point, like within like sort of the R and B world, which R&B is world. successful. I mean, to me, that's, it, it would seem successful. And they see, you know, they're, they're, they talk about they're, they're selling larger, there's larger crowds, right. Larger venues now yeah. than they were before. But if you hear them talk about it, that's not, all that they that's not the only thing they wanted mm-hmm. they still they talk about this album and over the next several years through now where they're just really they're really bummed that this album did not get more appreciation right yeah. that it didn't blow them up because look what unlike patty labelle who like had one crossover hit right mm-hmm. in her storied career like they started solidly at the top of the pop charts yeah And like, I think they're still to some extent chasing that fame, right? And the fact that they're not there and now they're in their 40s, which is, it's hard for any artist, let alone like three black singers. Three black women, yeah. Three black women. I mean, you Um, think about, I mean, New Kids on the Block, when they got back together, they're old. They're old. And, you know, but because they're men... Because they're mm-hmm. white men, mm-hmm. they're they're still considered sexy. I think. Yeah, I mean that 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 nostalgia. Like the people that go out, they're still able to go out there and 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 put forth that sexual vibe, right? Well, people it's, still it's find Donnie Wahlberg yeah. super hot. Well, right? I was gonna say it was like when I think about like people in my people that like cousins and 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 friends of mine who are just a little bit older than me who were fans of new kids on the block had their favorite crushes like i was aware of them but i was a little young so that was just before my time right um when they went on their reunion tour they went and they were all about like how like their crush was this one and so they were looking forward to see it goes all the way back to like the monkeys right like you know people still you know and the beatles 
you don't see men going to, I don't know, a, a Stevie Nicks tour because they still have a crush on Stevie Nicks. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's not the thing. Like, to your point about men and the way they age and, like, the kinds of, like, women are allowed to still sort of fawn over their childhood crushes. Yeah. You kind of, you kind of grow with that as a woman. I feel like traditionally it's, I mean, it's that idea of like men getting older and continually discarding women of their own age. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That like, you know, you're 20 and you're dating a woman in your twenties and then you're 30 and you dump your 30 year old wife and date a 20 year old. And then you're 40 and you divorce your 30 year old wife and start dating a new 20 year old Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um you know that like male male sexual impulses are allowed to just kind of um never grow up essentially Yeah. yeah and and so maybe culturally we don't foster that type of nostalgia the same for women as we do for men. Yeah. And it's interesting that you don't, that you don't look at, you know, you look at Donnie Wahlberg and you think about what Donnie Wahlberg was like when he was 16 and it all feels the same to you. I think we talked about this a little bit with um, our, our episode talking about things we liked in high school that like a lot of those things that I have fond memories of in high school, like they carry with me with the same impact to this day, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's really interesting. Like, and, and, and just, just that, you know, we're talking about, they went on tour. I mean, they, they did tour to promote this. Um, but like I've gone to a lot of these sort of these concerts. So like, um, you know, went to see, let's see, Fantasia and Anthony Hamilton perform, Mm -hmm. you know, um, went to see, uh, went to see, you know, Tony, Tony Braxton and who opened for her was SWV and Babyface. And I went to see Anita Baker and I've, you know, you go to see these sort of like sort of traditional R&B acts and sort of nostalgia acts. And the vibe is just so fun. And like, it's a different thing than like what I've at least seen for like like a backstreet, but new kids on the block thing. It It's the closest thing that I've been to. That's like church mm-hmm. when I was a kid, like to now it's just like, there's a celebratory aspect to it. It's like, everyone's just like, there's so much love for these performers and these yeah. songs and this music. And it's like, there's a recognition for how precious and how special yes. those artists are to a lot of people. Yes. yes because I think it still feels like yours. I think, you know, it's interesting because there's the tension with the artist in many ways who wants to be bigger, but like, because they're not bigger, the audience is like, these people are ours and we love them and we will lift them up. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, there's the, there's the specialness, there's the special factor. And there are some of my most, most fun and favorite concerts that I've ever been to, because it's just, you know, you're going to have a good time and people are going to be jumping up and just like, yeah. You know, raising their hands and throwing them at the audience or throwing them at the singers because like they are killing it in yeah. ways that like I want to say I've not seen in pop concerts. Yeah. Well, I mean, at that point, you know, you pretty much know that you share that passion with everyone yeah. in the audience at that point. Yeah. I think when you go to a pop concert, there's more of a suspicion of like feeling like, well, I really love this artist, but 
does this person know this yeah. about this artist? Yeah. Does this person yeah. know Britney Spears' birthday? Yeah. Does this person yeah. know, you know, yeah. that Britney You're Spears originally, you know, yeah. you know, so you get into that suspicion, I think, where when you do have the arena filling pop artists, mm -hmm. it feels less special. One, because there's so many more people, but also there is that battle for fan credibility, yeah. right? Yeah. Where you, yeah. I, I mean, I, I have felt suspect over people that are super fans of so-and-so, you know, because you really want to feel like, no, I'm the biggest fan. I'm the biggest fan. But <laughs> I think when you do go to something like, you know, Tony Braxton and Babyface. Oh, my God. You realize, he like, did. you're yes. there. It's like Club Nokia, right? Yeah. Something yeah. that no, size. No, it was a Microsoft theater. It was oh, okay. the big one. Okay. <laughs> I guess but, it's you know, a Nokia you theater. You go now. there and you you feel like, Okay, for people to have heard about this, for people yes. to be here, to purchase yes. tickets, to find it worth worth their time to be here. Yes. We all share this in common. That yes. We value this experience. Yes. And it's it's just a different vibe because everyone there, like for you to spend money to see Fantasia and Anthony Hamilton <laughs> or even Anita Baker. Like, and I was there, I took my friend or my friend and I went and like, cause like other people don't really want to go with us, but like, it's I us and a go. bunch. I know it's us <laughs> and a bunch of aunties and we are just grooving. Cause it reminds me of sitting in the backseat of my car, of, of my aunt's car, you know, that like late eighties, early nineties, mid nineties, like that R and B. And it just takes me back there and everyone knows every word to every song. And it's just, it is a. It's just this loving thing. So, so, you know, that, that it sort of did that for them within that audience, but it did not break through. Yeah. So that, you know, they, I think they were, they were obviously disappointed with that. And after that, so that came out in 2012, 2014, they, they debut, um, SWV Reunited, which is a reality show on WeTV. It ends up being two seasons. Um, it was incredibly popular. Like as personalities, yeah. Lily, Coco, and Taj are just, people really loved them. And when this show came on in 2014, it was one of the highest rated, if not the most highest rated cable reality show at the time. It outdrew Project Runway, uh, Millionaire Matchmaker, um, they said couples therapy. I've never heard of it. So oh. take that with a grain of salt. I, I, mean, uh, I, I think don't, Spence, you know Spencer me. and Heidi, Spencer and Heidi from the Hills. I oh, is wrong. that, is that where they come I think from? That, I mean, they I were on the I mean, Hills, they were on the hills but, but it's like B-list yeah. celebrities who are having trouble with their yeah, marriages. Yeah yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But I mean, this was more popular than all the other shows on cable, the reality yeah. shows on cable and it followed them. It, it's really interesting because even though they had SWV had reunited, they hadn't worked through any of their shit. Mm -hmm. Right. And what's interesting. So there's a Rolling Stone article from 2014, which, which was, it, it caught up with, with the, with the band, um, before show at Madison square garden. And it was right around the time when this show, uh, when the, um, the TV show had just come out and they were saying that like, so at the Madison square garden show, they still were not talking. <laughs> they they get ready. They get ready in three separate dressing rooms and they do not interact until they hit the stage. Huh. Um, and then after they're done and they go. Coco was talking about how based on she's she she was complaining about in the first season, she's the villain. 
And what's interesting, you know, she's sensitive about that. She's like, ah, it's, I'm going to be the villain and then I'm going to go out in the show. I'm going to perform and people are going to boo me. And she's like really worried about this. Then she goes out on the show on, on stage. I'm like, that doesn't happen. People are still all into it. And, she, and I guess they, they caught up with her later and she's like, no, you know, I think it's good. I mean, every show has to have, every season has to have a villain. It's me this time. You know, if we get another season, maybe we'll get another storyline, but it's all good. Like, and they all talk about how like, like this show, the, part of the show is like they go to therapy mm-hmm. and they talk through all of their issues, like from the beginning. And, you know, the money issues, just the drama, like the stress of being women in their 40s returning to a business that doesn't know what to do with mothers of teenagers, right? Like they yeah. just literally don't know what to do. Um, one episode talks about Coco's lipo, um, you know, Taj's butt lift. There's one, you know, it's like um, they, they were debating, like, should you get a Brazilian butt lift before they go on tour? But like they ended up saying no, because the re, the, the, the recovery, recu- time. recovery time is like it's an incredibly invasive procedure. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, they're sticking like fat from one part of your body into like, yeah. a different part of your body. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just insane. So so they, they kind of get into this and people really enjoy it because their drama doesn't feel staged. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it feels real and it feels like the way they work through it feels real. It ends and up having. Um, and it's what you always wanted to know. Yeah, I feel like when, yeah. when groups fall apart and the media really never knows what happened and the people won't talk about what happened. It fosters that level of mystery that you just want to know, like, hey, what happened? You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the it goes on for a second season. Um, and this is so 2015. And but, you know, even even so, like they interviewed there was a there was a interview with Coco because she, she they all have their own kind of side hustles going on besides SWV. Uh-huh. Right. Bet- besides the show, like Coco has a shoe store. Um, and so. You know, she was in, she was interviewed about this time and, you know, she she said that she felt better about being part of the group again, um, that the bruised egos were healing and they were learning to be patient with each other and that everything was cool as long as the business was tight. So whenever they reference SWV, that's what they mean with the business. However, she also said outside of that, we really don't communicate. She's like, people think that we are best friends and we hang out. She's like, no, it, it's not animosity, but like. SWV is a job. They clock in and when they clock out, they leave the, they leave their job at the office mm-hmm. and they go home and they go about their lives. And so it's a really interesting thing, right? Because it's like the fans love them and they love the, their, again, their name is sisters with voices. Yeah. They're really just voices. <laughs> <laughs> they're not, you know, they're not sister. They don't, it's just an interesting dynamic that they have. And it just, it's born out of like 20 something years of contentious sort of interpersonal conflict and relationship and, and struggle in an industry that's hard. And you know, that they're kind of lurching from one thing to another because in 2018, they, they were filmed for a BT show called another reality show called ladies night. And it essentially followed them along with Salt and Peppa and DJ Spinderella um, as they created, choreographed, and executed a national tour in 2018. So the 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 show itself came out last year, last spring, 2019. Okay. Um, and it covered this. And I looked up on Wikipedia, the tour was canceled. Okay. So like 
again with like the sort of stops and starts, but like they were on this reality show. And like, just to give you a sense of, of like, like season one, episode two, the title of the episode is where's Coco. <laughs> right. Um, Salt and Pepper and SWV spar over a set list, over the set list. So it's like, it's again, it's kind of going after the dramatic aspect. I, I didn't actually watch the show, but just like kind of going through the synopsis. Season one, episode nine, breakdowns and breakups. Coco's absence leads to a disastrous performance in Australia. And Peppa and Salt address the tension with spin head on. This debuted in April 2019. There was no second season. Um, obviously, like now we're in the pandemic, so who knows what's going on. But as I mentioned, according to Wikipedia, the planned tour was canceled. The day after the show debuted, Spinderella was terminated from Salt and Peppa. Apparently because she had been planning to sue them over royalties. Um, it's, it's just like, there's just so much drama, like oh, surrounding them, surrounding everything they're involved with and everyone that they're involved with. It, not that it's necessarily unique because the reason I bring in the salt and pepper thing is like these acts from the nineties that are still trying to maintain relevancy 20 some years into their careers. Um, it seems to be a struggle of personalities more than yeah. anything to this and day, when you, right? And it's, yeah. And when you do perceive of your group as a business, that everything is purely transactional, on the one hand, that's incredibly professional to yeah. try and approach it that way. But on the other hand, it leaves you in a position where you are maybe not afraid of hurting other people's yes. feelings. Yeah. And that's what they say. They're, yeah. They said there's sometimes you do things in business that hurt people. And I think even as the business. public, like we want to believe that there is a genuine camaraderie behind the yeah. singing groups that we love. And yeah. so, you know, again, to speak to their image, it it kind of undercuts any emotional <laughs> feeling of love you have towards them. If you think, well, yeah. this is just this is just three random people that are just clocking in and clocking out. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I assume it's maybe more complicated than that, you know. I assume that they wouldn't continue going if they didn't at least have a love for performing with each other. I think that's that that's the interesting thing. We've been doing this podcast for a couple months now and with every episode, the more research I do, the more I usually on the end I come out loving and appreciating the group more. Mm-hmm. With SWV, I did not have that response. <laughs> the more I, the more I dug in, the more I was like, "Good lord!" Like there are, there are, like, and I, I want to be careful because, you know, when you talk about sort of interpersonal conflict in a band, and particularly among women in a band, like, it can be shaded in a certain way that's very misogynistic and mm-hmm. sort of dismissive, right? The only reason that I still kind of come out on this side is just like because of their own interviews where they talk about each other and just like what what's they've been on the record as like what's happened. And to your point, it's like it's very hard to know if they actually like each other. Mm-hmm. Like because even because even after like the 2014 uh, reality show and they sort of work through a lot of their problems. I mean, by the time 2018, 2019 comes around, like they're still involved in this in this reality show that's all about tension and people dropping out and people, you know, like all mm. of the fighting infighting. And it like, it puts a sour taste in my mouth because like, yes, you do expect that like, there's a, a baseline of love 
And they sort of talk about it, but not really. Like they're still very like they're still all on this. I mean, at least they're all on the same page with like, I don't think anyone necessarily is expecting more from someone in the group than the other mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. But but as an as an audience member, as a fan, there's not really anyone to root for. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you're just like, OK, well, hopefully the next whatever you do next is good. Like, but I'll always yeah. have those. We'll always have those songs. Is there memories associated All those with memories. those songs? And 2012's, look, if, if only you knew, audience, <laughs> about the song, if only you knew, um, and their performance of it. There are live performances. The album version is actually amazing. Um, I love it because I can sing it an octave down and hit all the notes in the car. <laughs> And it's a really great way to just stretch your lungs <laughs> by the time you get to the back, the back end. So cool. Um, all of that to say, just like, you know, reunions, blah, 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 blah. Like, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. They're way just to bring, way to bring it home, Jason. Uh, no, yeah, it's, it's a fun album. Give it a shot. Ignore the rest just the way they ignore the rest of each other and just listen to the music. <laughs> Awesome. Let, well, I think that was break. a that was a complex and layered redemption of SWV, but I think it it gave it gave a lot of context for why SWV is not as culturally significant maybe as a lot of those other groups that came yeah. up around the time and sh- shortly after them. Yeah. So thanks for that. You're welcome. So that brings us to the end of part one of I Remember Us. Tune in next week when we'll be discussing British pop group MKS. Special thanks to Adam Elder for composing our theme music. Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopredeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And check us out on social media at flopredeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com slash flopredeemer. And as always, you can email us at flopredeemer at gmail.com. <laughs>